Hello and welcome to When I Found Grace podcast. Today, we are going to be answering your questions in this episode. Coming up next. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, through faith. and answer your questions that you have. And I know I keep asking and keep hounding on uh, all of you, but one of the things that I really desire for this podcast and for what we're doing is to answer your questions. And so I'm actually really excited. We kind of got hit with a flurry of them. And uh, so I want to answer these to the best of my ability. And so it, it, it does bring up, if you do have a question, all you have to do is go to our website, www.foundgrace.org and submit your question in the contact page. So as we come to answer these questions today, uh, these are actually un, unrehearsed. And so I'm looking at these, not all of them for the first time, but, um, but I am looking at them without rehearsing what I'm going to say. And so kind of see if we can get some fun answers in and, uh, and see, see what you guys think. Um, our first question comes from Helena. Helena, she asks, there's so much bad doctrines out there. How are we as professing biblical believers able to navigate these murky waters? And she goes on and says, the prosperity gospel, for instance, fails to recognize God's grace. Now, that's a great question because there is a lot of uh, confusion out there, I think, uh, pertaining to the church and what's false doctrine, what is uh, heresy, what's leading people away from Christ as opposed to leading people to Christ. And, you know, I talked, I, I believe it was last time I talked a little bit about this and kind of went on. Uh, about the differences between the different doctrines that we see and that we have. First, you see the doctrine that is um, non-negotiable doctrine. These are the essentials to our salvation. And now these are things that every Christian, every Christian would believe. And uh, if they're a professing Christian, these are things that they should be confessing. Number one, they're confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. So there, there, it says in Romans chapter, uh, chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, it says, if you believe in your heart and confess Jesus as Lord, um, then you will be saved. And, and it's because of that, that, that we know that we will, will be saved. And so that, that first and foremost, um, goes far and above everything else is Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, the, the other thing is really the Trinity, now, I know that there's a lot of different ideas of the Trinity or what it looks like and, and how it is, but but the Christian uh, doctrine, and it's actually part of the um, Apostles' Creed, is the Trinity, to believe in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we, we have these three persons, very distinct, 
um, parts of God, but, but they're all one God. We serve, it's a, a monotheistic, uh, God. He's, he's one God and that's what we believe in. And so, uh, we have that, that we believe in. And then, um, and then the, in the Jesus Christ return, let's just say that the return of Jesus Christ, we, we all believe that and that he will come, he will, um, uh, come back for his people, for his church. Now, how that all looks, uh, we have different beliefs, different ideas, uh, different things that the Bible even speaks about uh, that we um, that we can disagree on. But but the essential is that Jesus is coming for Jesus Christ is coming back um, to this earth. We know that uh, there is one God, but yet three parts, the Trinity, and then. Jesus Christ, by him and through him, you are saved. By grace, you are saved um, and not of works, lest any man should boast. And so those are kind of the, those are the, definitely the non-essentials. And, and there might be some that I'm, I'm leaving off, I'm, I'm sure, but, um, but when I look at somebody, those are the essentials of, of our faith and walking with Christ. So those are non-negotiable. And then, then you have the things that are negotiable doctrines, things that, um, you know, like eschatology, eschatology is a study of end times. What's it going to look like at the end times? What is it going to look like when Jesus returns? When will Jesus return? You know, and there's a premillennial view, a postmillennial view. There's even an amillennial view. Um, and I won't get into all of those right now, but, uh, you know, those, those are, uh, things that are debatable that you can uh, debate and and talk about. And it's not going to have any effect on your salvation. Uh, It's not even going to have an effect on your quality of life or your walk with the Lord. And, and you got to be careful of people that do say such things. I mean, um, there's also doctrines, uh, Calvinism versus Arminianism. Um, You know, once saved, always saved versus opposed to, are you able to lose your salvation? You know, these are things that are debatable. And regardless of what other people say, these are things that you can have a discussion about because it clearly states in the Bible, uh, both views and both views are supported biblically. Now there is one view, uh, that I, I personally believe, um, extends over the other view, but, but those are my opinions. And if, if you have other views, I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh, and so those are those are just examples. And really, you the best thing that you can do for yourself is to study the Bible and look through the through, look through the Word and know what's essential and what's debatable. And then finally, the last one is it, it's not condemning doctrine, but it is. Uh, confusing doctrine, uh, stuff that causes confusion, and even stuff that causes a lot of hurt. And these are things that you really got to be careful about, because there might be some things that, um, man, I had this experience, and then you want to share it with other people, and and then you start building a, a doctrine or a theology out of your experience, and just a one experience, and and it can create a lot of hurt and confusion. And now when you, you talk about like the prosperity gospel, um, like Helena talks about and asks about, um, failing to recognize God's grace. I 
I don't, I don't necessarily think that the prosperity gospel is, is one that will condemn somebody, but it definitely causes a lot of confusion and a lot of hurt. And, and it's, it, I don't know where it originated from, um, or the first person to ever bring it up or, or say, this is, uh, what we believe, but, but you can, you know, that because somebody had maybe a, an experience and then they say, Hey, look from this experience, now I believe this and I'm teaching everybody else about that. You really got to be careful. Um, and you got to make sure that whatever you're teaching, it lines up with the word of God. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, uh, then it's, it's going to be very, um, very dangerous. And sometimes it does line up. There are things in the Bible that we read, but you can't go and just take, as we call it, cherry pick a verse and, and start cherry picking these different verses from the Bible to fit your narrative. Uh, you got to be careful of cherry picking. You have to go about it and you have to look at the Bible as a whole. Look at something in the context of when it was written, uh, where it was written, who it was written to, and and how does it apply, number one, to them in those days, and then how does it apply to you uh, today? So make sure that whatever you're reading, you're reading it in the context. And so those are kind of the three things that I always look at, um, the essential, the non-essentials, and then the confusing doctrine. Um, and you want to stay away from the confusing and anything that denies Jesus as Lord, anything that, um, denies the Trinity, anything that denies, um, Christ coming back. Uh, I, I really look at that and I say, yeah, that's, that's, they're, they're probably not Christians. They're, they're not. I, I, I can say that, um, because you just, you see in the Bible and in the essentials of what we have, um, and holding on to those. So that's, that, that is what I would look for. I would say, um, there's a lot of debate about who's saved and who isn't, um, in the church today or in the churches today. Uh, let me just share this with you. I went two years ago, year and a half, two years ago, I went to Ukraine uh, we have some missionaries there that we support. And when I went there, I saw what it was like, um, to see an oppressed people, people who were completely oppressed and you know who they were oppressed by. It wasn't just the Russians. No, it was the Orthodox church, the Eastern Orthodox church. And, and when you look at them and, and we actually went to one of their, their, um, what was it? it was a like one of their compounds i'm probably saying the wrong words but but they do some really really weird stuff and not only weird but they use their religion they use what they believe to really kind of hold people under their control and and when i saw that it it was it just became clear to me you know when when paul is talking about false teachers false doctrine, when Jesus is saying, be careful of these people, these are the people you got to be careful about. Here is, are these, these Eastern Orthodox, uh, what they call Christians, where they are completely teaching uh, doctrine that's not even 
right or real because most of those people, I, they don't even know if they're saved or not. They don't know if they're even going to go to heaven. I mean, there might be a Christian here or there within their congregations, but, but let me tell you, it, there's nothing about Jesus, the Jesus that we know, the Jesus that we preach that I saw within the Orthodox, the Eastern Orthodox church there. And you have to be really careful. There's a lot of deception and a lot of demonic warfare that's going on within that religion. And I really believe that when you look at those people and you look at these churches and these congregations that are there, these are the people that I think Paul is more referring to when he's talking about and warning about the false teachers of Jesus Christ. Now, looking back here in America, it, it kind of brought to light that, you know what, there's there are some people out there that have some te- teachings that are very confusing um, and they can be hurtful and harmful. Uh, one of them, I, I would say, uh, Bill Johnson with, with Bethel, um, he's got some, some weird theological things going on. Um, but, but do I believe he's a Christian? Do I believe he's a brother in Christ? Absolutely. Is he going to heaven? For sure. Are the people that go to Bethel in Reading, are they believers and Christians? For sure. Um, you know, and, and just like any church, there's people that go to my church that aren't Christians. Uh, and there's going to be people that go to Bethel in Reading, California that aren't Christians. Uh, do I think that these this is a, a gospel center, um, that these are believers in Christ? Absolutely. But do I think that they have some confusing doctrine? For sure. For sure. And, and you really want to make sure that you are grounded in the word of God, because one of the dangers that I do see are there are some practices that do come out, and I've heard about coming out of Bethel that you have to be very careful of because there were the same types of things that even the Eastern Orthodox church were completely into. And and Bethel is starting to, to get into some of these things. And, um, it, it's very, very strange, very, very weird. So, uh, hopefully that answers, uh, Helena's question. So just make sure as I've said before, make sure you're in the word, you're studying the word. Um, and there's the essentials. Hold on to those. There's the non-essentials. You can debate those till kingdom come. And then there's the confusing ones. Stay away from those. And, and then everything else, just throw it out the door. Okay. Um, this next question comes from William. He says, I believe the Bible literally, but some scripture is to be taken literally and others figuratively. Then why is scripture like Matthew 17, 20, not to be taken literally? Okay, now I got to go there. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. And this says, okay, and he said to them, so um, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not drive it out? Okay, so they're they're talking about this uh, demon-possessed man. And Jesus had to come and he said, because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. Okay. Um, so, so William continues on. He says, I always believed it to be literal, but then I was told I wasn't right. I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. So I... I I don't, I don't know what, um, 
I mean, William, uh, hopefully I can answer this uh, for you. He says, because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I, I tell you and say, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. And so Jesus is, is talking about having this uh, faith. He's talking about faith. And look, if you have this much faith, then, um, then you could even move mountains. Um, the size of a mustard seed. I, I, in my opinion, I mean, obviously we've never seen mountains move. I'd, I've heard people who have said, oh, I've seen mountains move, you know, figurative mountains, you know, the big roadblock in my life. You know, I was having a hard time and, or I couldn't get something that just seemed impossible and the Lord moved those things out of way. Those were a mountain for me. And, and I think, oh, I mean, that's a good applicable way to apply this. Um, but Jesus, he says, if you have the faith, the size of a mustard seed. Now, if you don't know anything about the mustard seed, this is actually the smallest seed in, in the world that a tree can grow from, um, as far as I, to my understanding. And the size of mustard seed, so a very small seed. Uh, if you had the faith, the size of mustard seed, you could say to the mountain, move here to there. And it would move. Nothing will be impossible to you. I think the emphasis here, William, is Jesus speaking about faith, faith and trusting the Lord that, look, I, I would, I would say that there is a, a figurative aspect to it. Uh, there might even be a literal, I, I, I can't be a hundred percent sure. Um, one of the things that I always look at is look, look at this mustard seed faith. If you just had a mustard seed faith, you'd move mountains. And I always say, have you seen a mountain moved? Neither have I. So that really comes to show how little faith we all really have. Don't you think? I mean, there's some, there's some, uh, people that have some really good, strong faith, but I've never seen anybody move a mountain. So is this speaking about faith or is it speaking about things being impossible or not impossible for you. And I think, I think when it comes to it is this faith this this word is it's to believe or the believe to trust, to trust the Lord. When we trust the Lord, then in our, in that trust, we, there's nothing that will be impossible. Why? Because there's nothing that's impossible for God. God can do everything. And I think that there's an idea here that whether you take the scripture literally or figuratively, uh, you really, the Lord wants you to trust him. He wants you to put your faith, your full trust in him. And I would say this, especially the church here in America, we lack in our faith towards God a lot of the times, many times. And I'm speaking that even of myself, I lack that, um, that trust and that faith that I have in the Lord. So, but I will say this to kind of answer the question in a more broader sense, rather than just the scripture is that there are things in the Bible to be taken literally. Like when it says that God created the heavens and the earth, he created them in six days. I believe that's something to be taken literally. Um, that when Jesus says he's going to come back to this earth, I take that literally when Jesus says, 
uh, in Revelation that he's going to come back and rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. I take that literally. Now, other people take that figuratively and, and we can debate about that all we want, but, but there are things that you do take literally. And then there are things that you can take figuratively. Most of the time, Jesus, when he's speaking to the people, it says that Jesus spoke to them in parables so that they could understand. And so there's a lot of figurative or, or a lot of analogies that are going on because they're parables. And so you have to be careful about taking um, absolute truths from from parables that aren't even what Jesus is saying. So so you have to be able to determine what's literal and, and what's figurative. There are debates of what people do take figure, figuratively and what they do take literally. Um, but for the most part, for the most part, I would say this. Take it literally unless it can't be explained literally. And then there might be a figurative explanation behind it. But always start with literal. Um, the one place that you wouldn't start necessarily with literal is like the book of Psalms, uh, you know, where a, a poetic type of book and, and you'll know when you're reading it being poetic. Uh, I think a song of Solomon's, you know, he's using a lot of descriptive, um, ideas. And so you really want to be careful with that. Um, let's move on to the next one. He says, do this is from Ron. Do angels have free will? I don't believe so apart from archangels. I was always told that angels are almost robot creatures. Uh, and then John Corson says, we all have a guardian angel. I, I love John Corson. Uh, shout out to you, Ron, for mentioning John Corson. Um, free will. Now, I've always been taught from my perspective that angels do not have free will. And I've read it in books that angels do not have free will. What's the difference between man and angels is that man has free will and angels don't. However, that whole thing is thrown into question. Um, and in my opinion, I believe that angels do have free will. Well, why would I say that? Well, number one, uh, because all the way back in Genesis, um, in chapter four or five, it's all the way here in, in chapter five, I believe. I'm just looking at it real quick. And, but we, we read about uh, the Nephilim, actually chapter, yeah, chapter five, chapter five here. We read about uh, the Nephilim. Oh no, hold on a sec. I'm sorry. It's going to be in chapter six of Genesis, chapter six. It said in chapter six, verse one, now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them that the sons of God, speaking of angels, saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves, whoever they chose. And so there is this free will. There's this idea of free will that angels have. Not only that, but it, we do see in Ezekiel, especially when it's talking about Satan, Satan during his fall. Um, and obviously Ron here says that, you know, the archangels have free will, but Satan fell. And then there was a third of the angels that followed him, that he took the third of the angels with him. And, and so for them to have free will, 
there's in the Bible, there's really nothing that says that they don't have free will. Um, now, if you want to correct me, uh, feel free. I'd, I'd love to hear other people's thoughts on that. But, but from what I read in the Bible and from some of these things that I see, do angels have free will? Well, Ron, from what I see and understand, especially when I read Genesis, um, is that, yeah, yeah, angels do have free will. So that's debatable, but it seems to be the case. Janice, she says, how come when we hear of demon-possessed people in the Bible, they are perceived in a certain way? Taddy and dis- disheveled. Dis- <laughs> I can't even read that word. Uh, how come we don't see that today? We hear of satanic groups or people that blatantly serve the dark uh, realm, but it's in secret and not so obvious like in biblical times. Now, this is a great question. And actually, it's really difficult to answer. Why do we not see people like they did in biblical times who are demon-possessed? Now, I would, I would say this. I think we see people that are more demon that are demon possessed more often than what we think and what we notice and what we realize. I think it, a lot of it has to do with what you would call spiritual blinders on our eyes. I don't think that it's very much different. The only difference that we see, especially with Jesus in his time, is is that we we are under the new covenant now, and so there there might be some sort of protection. Um, that, that there is, uh, especially for believers, that, that is something that I can say with confidence. You can be, you could be tormented. It, Paul talks about that, the thorn in the flesh, but you can't be possessed as a believer. And, uh, but there are demonic forces and we do know from Ephesians, it says that our battle is not against flesh and blood but it's against the powers and the principalities and the spiritual forces. And so our, our battle is against that. And so there's a lot more spiritual warfare that's going on than what you would think. And so to be mindful of that, I think we need to be mindful of what's going on and understand that there might be people that, yeah, we might just uh, put it towards some kind of disease or say that, oh, well, this person's just you know, they have, uh, this deficiency or whatever it is. Uh, it could very, very well be a demonic, something demonic and not, um, not just what we medically call, um, some kind of, of mental disorder. And, and I would, I'd be very, very cautious of, of thinking otherwise. So, um, it's a great question. I think we still deal with, uh, possessed people, um, maybe not as tatty as what you would think them to be, but, but maybe so, maybe so, maybe you just personally don't have that interaction. And a lot of times here in our society is instead of dealing with those people or dealing with those issues, usually those people are just kind of cast out. And, and that's a lot of times you see people on, on the street, they're, they're walking around and they've got all sorts of, t- uh, twitches and weird things going on. And, um, you know, we just write that off as, oh man, the drugs have fried his brain, which is true. But at the same time, there might be some serious demonic warfare going on, some uh, demon possession going on there. So uh, I don't think it's gone. Uh, and it might be just 
perceived in different ways because we have what we would call spiritual blinders on our eyes. We are more spiritually blind um, to these things than what the authors were of the Gospels when they were writing those. So hopefully that answers it. Uh, Cleo, uh, the next question. Could you uh, example the rapture, pre-tribulation, and everything that is to happen in the last days in a very basic way? Whew, wow, that's that's an in-depth question. And and maybe I'll actually save that for more in-depth later. But, um, but the rapture, a lot of people complain that, well, you know, the rapture is not in the Bible. Uh, and in the Bible that we read, no, it's not in the English Bible. No, in the Greek Bible, no, in the Latin Bible. Yes. Because what it is, is we find it in Thessalonians. We find it in a couple other places is this word for, for snatching up. It's the Greek word harpazo that you would find. Um, and in the Latin it's translated rapturo, which is where we get the uh, word rapture from. And so, um, this it's it calls it's called this snatching it like a violent snatching away and so it snatches away it's not just like oh he's dwindling away like on Avengers Endgame where everybody's disappearing slightly no this is a a snatching away even violently and so so yeah there is actually um, a uh, it, it does speak of the rapture of sorts now. It, it's not clear um, specifically on that. Um, you have to really read into the Bible. I think the more that you read and the more you, you become acquainted with the scriptures, with the word of God, um, the more apparent it becomes. But this is one of those non-essential things that this is a debatable one where when you're talking about the rapture and pre-tribulation rapture, talking about premillennialism, uh, which, yeah, I am a premillennial. Um, I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Um, I take a futurist view of the book of Revelation, uh, but not everybody does. And and I, I get that. I understand where they're coming from. Um, and so there's, there's a lot that that we can talk about and and maybe I'll talk more about this on a later episode, but examples of the rapture. The first time that we see a rapture happen is uh, Enoch all the way in the book of Genesis. Enoch was just, he was, and then he was not, he was taken up by the Lord. We see the first rapture there. We see kind of a picture of the rapture where Noah and uh, his sons, Shem, Shem, Ham, and Japheth were taken away um, and, and taken away, put into the ark as the judgment of the flood came. Um, you see, you see lots of pictures of, of, in my opinion, the rapture happening, uh, throughout scripture. And so, uh, we, what I'll do is I'll answer that in more detail. We are running out of time. We got one more question. Um, and we'll, we'll answer that at another time. Uh, then the next question, uh, is from Pamela. And this question, if we have free will, then why in Job was Satan responsible for all his hardships? That speaks more of God's sovereign plan than our free will. Can we assume that Satan is responsible for all disease? Ooh, wow, that's a, uh, that's a loaded question right there. Can we, number one, can we assume that Satan is responsible for all disease? Uh, my quick answer, no. Uh, why? Well, 
because Satan is not God. I, I, want, I want you to notice he's not equal to God. Satan does have power, and Satan is a very powerful being. But one of the things that you do have to realize, Satan is not omnipresent. He is not omniscient, all-knowing. Uh, and so he he's not everywhere at the same time. He's not all-knowing like God is. Uh, and, and he is a created being, unlike Jesus, who always has and always will be. So I think it's important for us to recognize that Satan does not have that same authority. Um, Jesus, God gave Satan this uh, power or this um, authority in Job's life for a time. And if you do go to Job, uh, what what I'll I'll jump there real quick. But in in Job, we see that God he limits the power. He limits. He says. Satan basically says, Hey, you know, you got this hedge of protection over him. And, and so God says, okay, well, guess what? You can, you can have everything, but you can't touch him. You know, you can, you can do whatever you want, but don't touch him. And so we see his children killed, all of his wealth taken, all of his possessions gone. Um, and then, and then he says, ah, and then he never, he doesn't curse God. In fact, he worships God. And then he says, oh no, no, no. But you know, let me, let my hand be against him and, and, and then he will curse you. Okay, you can go against him, but you cannot, um, you can't kill him. And so, uh, so anyways, so then, then Job gets this, these, these nasty boils and, and just disease ridden. And so, um, to a point where they couldn't even recognize him anymore, uh, scraping with clay, uh, broken clay, uh, just to, to scrape, um, to get the itch away. And so, um, so God has authority of all of these things and God gives the authority to whomever he pleases for disease or for uh, elements in the world. But does this mean that Satan has complete control over these things that Satan has um, is responsible for all disease? Not in any sense. Um, disease comes from sin. We know that this world, when sin entered the world, this whole world was affected by sin. And we know that, that everything, it says, even creation is groaning for its redemption. We're all waiting for the redemption of ourselves and of this world. And sin has marred it. Sin has scarred it. Sin has diseased it. This isn't, this isn't Satan's doing. He might have been the catalyst that had propelled Adam and Eve to rebel and sin against God. But this isn't the work of, of Satan. This is the work of sin. And Satan, well, he's been around for however many thousands of years. We don't even know how long Satan's been around uh, and how long he was in heaven before he even fell. But we know this is that he does not have any authority except that which is given by God. And when God gives him authority, he can go up to what his authority allows or what God's authority allows. It can never um, overstep what that authority is. And the same goes for us. So does that mean just because a, um, 
a preacher or some guy came and, and healed a sickness that this guy is the healer of all people? No, no, not by any means. It means that at some point the Lord gave him authority over a disease or over sickness. And this person was able to heal or through his prayers or whatever it was to heal. Um, but it doesn't happen with everybody. And I think that's one thing that you have to um, recognize is that just because somebody does something once doesn't mean that the Lord is going to allow that another time. And that's why for me, I kind of get a little bit uh, uh, kind of uh, shy away from people who say, oh, I've got this uh, ministry of healing. Oh, okay. Because you healed somebody once. Oh, okay. I remember there was a time we, we this lady at our church came. We, we always pray on our Wednesday night service. We always uh, anoint with oil and pray over people and and because uh, that's what the Bible tells us to do. And I remember uh, this new lady came and, and she she came up to get prayed for. So we prayed for her and we didn't see her again, except for three weeks later, she came back and, and she said, I just I just had to come back and I had to let you know after you prayed over me what I wanted you to pray for, I was healed and it was for a back pain. And I never had, have had that back pain ever since I woke up the next morning and it was gone and I was healed. (laughs) What? I mean, it was, it was really cool to hear that such a blessing. And then we never saw the lady again after that, but, but it was such a blessing because, you know, I know that the Lord worked in that miraculous, wonderful way. It wasn't me but it was the Lord. And at that moment, the Lord decided that I'm going to heal this lady. And and it says that if you are sick, come and get prayed over and the faith of them will make them well. Whose faith is it? I don't know. But we know that the Lord works in these mysterious, very interesting ways that work beyond our physical realm. And so, um, so I think it's one thing is, is, is being careful not to give Satan too much credit for what he can't or what he can do. Uh, you don't want to, you don't want to do that. He's, he's still a created being. And the only authority that he has is that which has been given to him. So be mindful of that. Um, but it does say, so if we have free will, then why? So free will. So it's talking about free will and the sovereignty of God. And that's kind of the other question. And a lot of people have this opinion that the free will of God and the sovereignty of God are completely opposed to each other. You know, it, it it's not that way. And when you read the Bible, you see that the free will of man and the sovereignty of God, they're actually in harmony with one another and with each other. They're not against each other. They're in harmony with each other. And, and I think there's, when you go too far one way or you go too far the other way, you start kind of creating doctrine that can be confusing. And so when you look at when God gives us the free will, thank you, Lord, for giving us freedom. When you see God's sovereign hand clearly upon your life, Lord, thank you for doing what you know is best in my life. And we're always praising the Lord and glorifying because God gets the glory for these things. And so we're so grateful. So anyways, at the end of this, I I hope that you guys are all blessed by um, this conversation. Again, any question that you have, I want to encourage you, 
please submit those questions on our website, www.foundgrace.org. And I'd love to answer more of these. And some of these I might be answering more in detail, especially that one about the end times. Um, But until then, I hope you all have such a wonderful and blessed day and that you can just live in the grace of God and his beauty.